Hello and good afternoon. My name is Erin Wagoner, Foundation Specialist with Corporate Partner Services for CHIME. And it's my pleasure to welcome you all to today's webinar, How SBH Health System Responded to the COVID-19 Pandemic with a Clear Path to Success. Now with that said, I'm pleased to introduce with us today, we have Lori Minotto, Senior Marketing Specialist with Allscripts. Lori, thank you for joining us today. I'm gonna to turn things over to you. Thank you, Erin, and thank you everyone for attending. So as we get started, I wanted to just give you a quick overview of uh, SBH Health System. So this hospital is over 150 years old, one of the oldest hospitals in, it, in the area. The service area is the Bronx Borough uh, in New York, um, and this hospital serves the poorest and most underserved population in the area. It's a 435-bed acute care hospital with over 90,000 emergency room visits and 500,000 outpatient visits per year. So now I wanted to introduce you to our panelists. First, we have Dr. Barmesha. He's the Chief Information Officer and Senior Vice President of Information Technology and Clinical Engineering. He leads the IT infrastructure and analytics strategy for population health management as one of the lead provider performing systems in the Bronx. Next, we have Zane Last, who is the Director of Analytics and Care Management. Over Zane's 11-year tenure at SBH, he has occupied multiple leadership roles, leveraging his extensive education and expertise within clinical workflow, technology, and leadership. Now, let's get started with the panel discussion. So our first question, how did SBH create an overall strategy for the organization during crisis? What were the key points in developing this overall strategy? Dr. Ramesha? Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. And thank you, Laurie, for that uh, sweet introduction. Um, our uh, overall strategy for this uh, pandemic uh, was founded on two pillars, communication and collaboration. <clears throat> And the communication was not only internal stakeholders between uh, different business, clinical, operational, financial, but we also had open communication with our area hospitals. And more importantly, all the um, Department of Health, whether they were city or state Department of Health, trade associations. So it was an overall good strategy to have communication with all these stakeholders. And in terms of uh, collaborations, we had vendors uh, who collaborated for the PPE, pharmacy, labs, and other areas. And this pandemic was a little bit uh, unusual or unique in a sense. We could not come together uh, within the organization. So we had to set up a virtual command center, uh, which was 24-7. Uh, and then we created a surge plan based on how the patients were uh, incoming to the institution. So we went from uh, plan A to all the way to plan D where everything was um, uh, virtual for ambulatory care and um, only patients are coming through uh, emergency room and no elective procedures uh, were done uh, up until mid-July. Uh, we started on our first case on 13th of February, uh, the command center. And internally what was happening was um, we had several committees which all came together, whether they were critical care committee or clinical guidelines committee or patient safety committees or operational committees. And uh, over my 25 years, I've never seen such a beautiful collaboration 
between non-clinical and clinical uh, staph at St. Barnabas. Yeah, perhaps if I, sorry, uh, just add one point. We do have, um, have our daily patient safety meetings, uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, during the uh, pandemic, we increased those to the weekends, uh, reported more out on the COVID uh, details and brought in uh, additional people as needed. Uh, but we were having literally every single morning, the first thing we do is go over what's happened yesterday, what's going on today, and what are the pain points. Uh, so everybody was on the right page. Great. So having the overall strategy in place, I'd be interested in how your resources were allocated. So with the demand for care, can you explain how you redeployed staff and repurposed hospital units with the surge of patients? Right. So there are a couple of things. So uh, at the outset, I would like to uh, inform that uh, we, we had a mandate from Department of Health to increase our acute care capacity by 50%. And as you know, for last four or five years, uh, New York State uh, has been marching towards value-based care where all the care from acute care was moving towards um, community-based care. For example, uh, we were expanding our care transitions programs or uh, community-based programs, and we had to shut down some of our inpatient because of the declining inpatient. During pandemic, it happened opposite. Uh, we had to open up uh, wherever the inch of space we found, we opened up our inpatient locations. For example, our cardiac cath lab, PACU areas, ambulatory surgery, endoscopy suite, they were all turned into critical care areas. We even expanded and redesigned our emergency room uh, to make sure that the flow of patient was seamless for the first responders who were bringing the patients either from uh, long-term care facilities or from home. So that was on one side, expanding the uh, physical space. We deployed over close to 1,000 medical devices to make sure that uh, our expansion of critical care beds, which went from 22 beds to almost 95 beds, had adequate uh, patient care uh, solutions. Uh, similarly, we had to expand our devices, IT devices, hardware, Wi-Fi access, so that making sure that we were not on paper. Uh, we wanted to, from the get-go, we wanted to be electronic because all our clinicians uh, had uh, used EMR and we didn't want to go on paper. And uh, we somehow managed to deploy in a very short period of time, opening up 50% uh, capacity of our acute care and almost 400% of our critical care services. Great. So with that uh, quick response, what happened in the IT system? So how did SBH implement their clinical and revenue cycle documentation process? Yeah, so again, as I said, uh, we did not want to go on papers as the influx of patients were uh, coming through emergency room or walk-ins. Um, one thing uh, during our search plan was uh, we created virtual care or telehealth implementation. So we had to recreate our templates uh, because the physical examination was missing uh, when we were doing the virtual care. At the same time, the EMA came up with their new ICD-10 codes and the CPT codes for uh, COVID visits. Uh, we had to redo our clinical documentation to comply with telemedicine uh, guidelines. Um, at the same time, there were influx of new treatment therapies 
so we had to create a new uh, pharmacy order sets. There were new antigen tests for COVID, uh, although the uh, antibodies test came back a little bit later on. So we had to uh, create order sets. We had to create our EMR templates. We had to recreate the locations because again, as I mentioned, um, the procedural areas and the emergency room were converted into critical care. And based on our policy for transmission policy for CPOE, uh, these uh, locations were turned into uh, critical care. Um, and the, obviously the integration of these new uh, lab testing and uh, pharmacy is important. So uh, again, behind the scene, there were a lot of work done on the integration as well for pharmacy, lab, radiology, and so forth. Yeah, if I could even point out um, just real struggle that we had uh, with uh, the locations. With our system, it's a location-based uh, build-out in our EMR. And with that, changing over a lot of these areas or procedural areas that were not inpatient beds into inpatient locations that were ICU beds, uh, we really struggled on the reporting side to be able to pull that information in and be able to know what type of bed, what type of uh, service these patients got. Uh, affected revenue and, a ref and down the line, it's going to affect how we might respond to, uh, in the future. So uh, something that we had to look at very closely and make sure that we were able to uh, pull in correctly. So we've discussed how the processes were put in place. How about the testing portion? Yeah, thank you. I'll take that. Um, on the testing side, there was quite a few things that we needed to uh, take into account. In the very beginning, just getting the equipment, uh, we found that there was a delay and a lag. So what we did was uh, some of our point of care testing, uh, COVID testing equipment, we turned into lab tests. So we had to build out interfaces. Uh, but with that, uh, any new test or any new procedure that goes into the system, we have a rigorous process from going into a test system, testing, bringing into production, and making sure everything's working properly. So we created a little bit of an enhanced uh, process, uh, making sure that we had uh, IT, lab, uh, clinical people all involved in the process, and so that it moved through uh, smoothly but quickly. Uh, we brought in a number of lab tests into the system uh, and built them out uh, to run uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, with that, uh, we also then had to modify or update any of our reporting streams to make sure that we took all of those into account. Uh, we had dashboards that had to be either created or updated as new labs came online. Uh, and then, of course, our regulatory reporting. All of that was required uh, to be updated uh, almost uh, daily uh, as uh, test chains or the way we resulted uh, might have been modified. Um, and then down the end, Dr. Barmetra pointed out, as we started doing antibody testing, uh, and specifically for our employees, uh, we decided to really fully deploy and utilize our patient portal, uh, Follow My Health. And that was instrumental so that the patients, the employees can get those results very quickly and report it back right away. So uh, those were a couple of the things that we did on the lab testing side to make sure that we got it into the systems and working properly. So Laurie, I just want to piggyback on what Zane mentioned. Uh, although things got a little bit better towards uh, June, July, but in the beginning, uh, the CDC guidelines were being changed and many lab tests were getting emergency uh, 
user authorizations and some tests were taking three days versus some tests were within 15 minutes. So it was like a chaos and somewhere from nasopharyngeal to pharyngeal swab. So the clinicians were also confused which test was uh, having nasopharyngeal versus pharyngeal. So we had to change our order sets also. And to make it worse, we ran out of the supplies, although we had machines in house, but we didn't have appropriate supplies. So th those were some of the challenges uh, we had to create tents for our employees to get tested. And believe it or not, up to close to 30% of our employees um, early on, they, they became COVID positive and they had to go into quarantine and so forth. So testing was very, very uh, important. And um, yes, we had a lot of challenges in the beginning, but things are getting better now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it looks like you guys did overcome those challenges. So. Now that you've got the test in production, I'd like to know what happened with the results. So how did SBH distribute the data to other agencies and what was the biggest impact? I think I'll take that one as well. Um, clearly the biggest impact was uh, the reporting out to the agencies, uh, CDC, uh, and then of course the daily reporting to the HHS uh, teletracking portal. Uh, this was almost a daily if not hourly challenge for us. Uh, the reporting requirements changed, uh, the, the way we would report changed, and not only were there discrete data elements that we can pull from the EMR, but there was also manual elements that we needed to pull as well. So it was a, really a collaboration. We had a team uh, from quality, uh, from the different uh, clinical departments, analytics, IT, uh, to really make sure that we got a handle on it and got all the data out correctly. Um, on the uh, reporting side, uh, what we could pull from the EMR, we, since this was daily reporting, we created uh, uh, dashboards. And we, then we had to update those dashboards and we had to make people make sure people understood what were the assumptions that we used uh, to pull the specific data points as well. Uh, so that was that was probably one of the most critical and difficult parts uh, to make sure that we got the right data. We got it out quickly and we had a mechanism uh, through our dashboards to be able to push it out to the people that needed it as quickly as possible. Um, with that, uh, we also had other streams that we, that we reported out to, uh, such as our regional hub, the Bronx Rio. Uh, so we had to make sure that we worked closely with them uh, to know what the new data points, what the new uh, documentation that might be coming across and that they were getting it into their systems properly and be able to report those out. Uh, so we work with them very closely. Uh, but then not to forget, there was also all the internal reporting that was required. Uh, some of it maybe not quite in the beginning, but as we moved on, uh, OBGYN, uh, be able to give them data to understand uh, for pa their patients uh, that are delivering and then who are the partners and what are their COVID status and be able to link them together properly. So there was documentation that needed to be created and then the reporting behind it. Uh, surgery, when they're ready to open, they needed to report against a bunch of parameters and we needed to pull that information together as well uh, to be able to know what is the COVID status uh, uh, of those patients and where they stand uh, in the process. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple of the points that, that were required, uh, but it was a daily challenge uh, specifically with all the new tests that kept coming up uh, almost on a, on a weekly basis. So Laurie, if I may add, uh, testing was, uh, as during the surge was obviously very, very important to make sure 
that we were documenting properly those who came in with symptoms of respiratory illness. But during after the sort of after plateau, I would call it uh, when we started our reopening strategies, testing even became more important, uh, especially for procedural areas, especially as Jazain mentioned on the OB area. Then uh, this is what I'm talking about the antigen testing. And now we are trying to get all our employees and anybody who are looking for testing on the antibodies. So even it is becoming more and more important how not only we are doing testing, but also how we are distributing our um, results. And of note regarding the, uh, we have become one of the testing center for New York City, uh, citywide. Uh, anybody can call 311 and we have testing centers. And our challenge became how to give them the results. So what we did was we used our patient portal to distribute the results uh, for their COVID testing uh, in a very HIPAA and uh, secure manner. Okay, great. So you guys both mentioned how data sharing was so critical. What other measures were important? So can you provide detail on how CPOE was critical this year? How does the data gathered and shared support any future looking research and reporting in a regulatory capacity to drive change? Yeah, thanks, Laurie. I think I'll take a first stab at this one as well. Um, so CPOE was really critical on the reporting side. Uh, being able to have the discrete data uh, that we can pull out and have it in a fashion that was uh, reportable was really important to us. Uh, so we did a lot of things around that. Uh, first off, of course, uh, pharmacy order sets, uh, new drugs that would come in and, you know, uh, order sets that would work towards COVID uh, that providers can use easily that we can then be able to pull that data correctly. Um, all of this led down to the ability to do uh, uh, studies and research um, and phase three trials with vaccines and, of course, the point of care testing. Once we were able to get all of this together, and we had our CPOE systems aligned and built and updated. Uh, we were then able to do, as I was talking, the regulatory to HHS. Uh, we were able to pull dashboards for operational reasons and of course also for financial reasons. We were doing either ad hoc reports or dashboards to capture things such as uh, uh, patients and their ventilation status, make sure that we're billing those and reporting correctly. Um, additionally, uh, we started and are now um, getting IRB approval for a CPOE-based uh, uh, data collection research study. And with that, we're partnering with CUNY School of Medicine. And we've already pulled out probably about uh, 75, 80 parameters uh, into a database of COVID patients. And with that, we're looking to work with CUNY to, one, validate the data, uh, work with clinical staff, and champions to review that data, look to see what other clinical data might be necessary or, or pertinent, and be able to bring that in. Uh, we're also, of course, created a HIPAA compliant security based uh, uh, dashboard and uh, uh, data stream to make sure that we capture that and store it uh, uh, carefully. So uh, a lot of things that went into play um, and uh, it, retrospectively as well. Uh, really uh, started with the CPOE build and making sure that we had those uh, discrete, da discrete data sets, lab values uh, and orders and so forth and documentation in place correctly 
uh, right from the start. So Laurie, if I may just add on uh, the impact of good CPOE and now the uh, changes what we are doing, uh, preparing for the second surge, uh, God forbid uh, it should not happen. What we found out that in our patient population, um, the oxygen replacement or oxygen therapy, uh, it will change based on our models or based on our research, what we are doing. These are again, very preliminary. Um, ventilation is not, will not be the only mode of treatment for oxygen. We will have different devices we are looking into. Number two was the renal replacement. Many majority of our patients who had renal issues, now we are looking at different modality of renal replacement therapies. And so, the, and the third one is, we were looking at their patient profile and we found majority of the patient who got very sick, whether they were moderate to severe, had a very high BMI. So obese patients had a very poor outcome. So these are very early on observations, in, at least in our patient population, which are driving the changes for the clinical guidelines. So again, building CPOU was very, very critical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of emphasis just on collaboration overall. What was your strategy and what tools were used for communication and collaboration? Yeah, so as I mentioned from the very beginning, uh, communication, collaboration, communication, collaboration, and we had severe challenges. So what I would like to do is in put it in a, maybe three or four buckets. So the most important or which we had severe challenge was the communication between the patient and their caregivers or the loved ones, because visitations, they were very strict policies. No visitors were allowed during the surge. So, uh, and our patient population had a very hard time reaching out to their caregivers or the loved ones. So that was one piece. We tried number of startups, different strategies like FaceTime and all, it did not work quite well for us. The second bucket was the between provider and patients to prevent uh, the usage of PPE, we wanted to use less PPEs for any clinical encounters. So we had to come up with a strategy where we can do between the provider and the patient communication. Um, the third one was between provider to provider. As I said, almost 28 to 30% of our um, staff, they become uh, COVID positive. And during at that time, if you're COVID positive, you had to have 14 days of quarantine, home quarantine. So that um, left us with uh, almost 60% uh, staffing here. And the last one was uh, um, the medical student uh, who were coming uh, for, they were not being able to do the uh, their education for at least three to four months. So we tried, we had Cisco WebEx in the beginning. Uh, we wanted to expand. Um, that was not very satisfactory to us. Then we ch chose Zoom. Uh, we identified several privacy issues uh, be between the patients and the providers, uh, although which was later on fixed. But um, I think that gave us a good leverage to have um, Microsoft Teams, uh, which has been implemented right now uh, in enterprise-wide, both for the providers to providers, between the providers and the patients and the patients and the caregivers. So this collaboration tool uh, actually in all these buckets had served us well. Uh, right now we are struggling with the um, uh, language interpretation 
through our video conferencing with the patients. And we are looking at uh, several options, how uh, lang language interpretations uh, can be incorporated into our clinical workflows uh, to enhance our communications. Okay, great. So with the different types of communication going on during a crisis, what are the elements of telehealth uh, were implemented during the initial response phase? And were there any lessons learned? Sure. Um, I think, uh, especially in the ambulatory care or in the virtual care, our initial uh, encounters were telephonic. I would say almost 100% telephonic. A, it was easy. Two, we had their phone numbers. Three, they, they did not need a broadband access or internet access to make um, calls between the providers. So, and the regulations from CMS and the state were also uh, loosened up during that time. Uh, we were looking at any modalities uh, for communication, whether it was WhatsApp, FaceTime, Doximity. Um, but later on, we realized that the telephonic wasn't uh, good enough. They really wanted to see the clinicians. And during that time, uh, our telehealth uh, implementation really skyrocketed actually at our health system. And majority of the telephonic calls uh, were converted to video and which are, we are still in the process. Uh, we are looking into deploying now the devices into their home so that not only we can do the voice to voice but also with the voice to medical devices in terms of uh, digital stethoscope or autoscope and so forth. And um, our third uh, pillar for our virtual care will be the home remote monitoring program, not only for uh, COVID patients, discharge patients, but also for our chronic care. Uh, th that is uh, in the coming weeks, we are looking forward to uh, implementing those uh, programs, yeah. Okay, great. So a lot has, of change has happened over the course of not only a couple of months, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, but for a while now. So I'm just curious, what's the new normal and recovery plans for SBH? Well, uh, maybe I will rephrase the word called next normal. Um, <laughs> maybe it's new normal. Uh, it's not over yet by any stretch of imagination. Um, we are now struggling with our reopening strategies, uh, second surge um, at the same time. Um, actually getting back patients to our procedural areas and ambulatory care is still challenging. Uh, many of the community members are still afraid. Um, they don't want to take public transport. Uh, even for our staff, um, those who were uh, non-essential staffs like back office staff, they are a little hesitant. Uh, we had to revise our telecommuting uh, policies, uh, which uh, we have never heard of our uh, coding team or lab team or uh, pharmacy team working from home. So this is very unique and new to, I'm sure, every health system in the country or across the globe. Um, so yeah, reopening strategies. Um, now every, every day when we come in, we have to do our temperature screens and uh, symptoms checker, uh, making sure that we have enough uh, PPE supplies up to 90 days. Um, we have uh, acquired a uh, lot more patient care uh, solutions and lab 
uh, machines, uh, making sure that, uh, because again, testing will be key, uh, not only antigen, but antibodies, and uh, also looking forward for the vaccine trials. Uh, one of the um, large pharmaceutical vendors of the world, uh, we are going to do the third phase of clinical trials. Um, with that, the flu season is uh, started. I just took my flu shot last week. So again, uh, it will be interesting to see the symptoms of uh, flu and uh, COVID together. Although we had um, challenges with the allergy season and the COVID uh, in early spring and late uh, spring or early, mar early summer, but it will be challenging uh, the fall and the winters, uh, but we are preparing ourselves. And um, again, uh, we know now the pathophysiology of COVID much better than what we knew. We have uh, better testing capabilities. We have better treatment capabilities. Um, I think we are better prepared than what we were uh, uh, in the first quarter or second quarter of this year. Yeah, Laura, if I could add a couple of things as well, a few thoughts. Um, a lot of what we're doing now on the analytics side is working with a lot of the departments uh, like renal for dialysis, uh, working with uh, uh, um, for, uh, reporting against ventilator usage, uh, where we were, where we were at the top of the uh, pandemic uh, and how that changed. We want to make sure that we have enough resources built in and that we're prepared in case it does go and to be able to understand how that might uh, flare up and change over time. Uh, we're looking at uh, financial reporting, uh, how things changed and uh, making sure that we have right, uh, correct reporting streams in place. Uh, staffing uh, and pharmacy for drug uh, management and drug uh, utilization. So those are the things uh, retrospectively, we're looking back at what happened over the last few months and to make sure that uh, we can easily prepare and ramp up as we go forward. Um, also another point along just our telecommuting uh, or telemedicine uh, on the, our, our platforms that we currently use. So initially uh, when people were doing telephone visits, we weren't capturing the data really as properly as we could. We weren't getting the encounters correct perhaps. Uh, we did documentation in the EMR, but uh, the new platforms that we've built out for uh, our hospital-wide system, uh, as well as some of our clinics, are now able to do the telemedicine internally within the system and be able to get much better reporting out uh, through those systems. Mm -hmm. And uh, one last point uh, on Teams, Microsoft Teams. I think from my perspective, and I think my team's perspective, uh, it was a real boom to work internally. Uh, so it was not just a, a, a bonus that, or the main usage to work with uh, providers, patients, and so forth, but uh, just internally, it gave us a much better platform to collaborate. Uh, so we, you know, everybody got kind of like a little bonus uh, to be able to work from home, but even internally in the office, share documents, quickly jump on a quick view, look at your, look with what's on your screen and so forth. It was really very helpful in allowing us to be able to do much more with less. Uh, so it was a real help. So yeah, I, the virtual care is going to stay at least for a foreseeable future. And also the telecommute, uh, at least for our health system, uh, is going to be here for a longer time than expected. Uh, so we, we are much better prepared than what we were in the first quarter this year. And uh, Let's hope there is no second surge. Um, we, again, we are acquiring enough supplies um, for our telecommuters, we had several severe challenges in 
getting microphones uh, or laptops or but now things are getting better actually okay well it does sound like you guys are you know much more prepared so um that is great and so sbh had a, a great success in navigating and quickly responding to the crisis and forging this this new normal um, you know, thank you guys. Thank you, Dr. Barmeshva and, and, and Zane um, for participating and taking us through this journey today. Um, we now want to open it up to, to questions from our time members. Let me. Um, okay, the first question is, uh, please expand on your use of telehealth to fight COVID. What were your successes, your issues, and what is your current state using that mode of healthcare delivery? Sure, uh, I'll take that one. So as I said in the beginning, it was mostly telephonic um, because the regulations were relaxed. Um, if you look at telehealth or virtual care, uh, there are two components. One is the communication tool and the other one is the clinical documentation piece. So we had severe challenges on the video, which was the um, communication tool. Um, we, we, our clinical uh, providers were using any um, smartphones or any apps they could get hold of, whether it was WhatsApp or Doximity or um, even FaceTime to talk to our patients. Mm -hmm. um, but then we realized that uh, the clinical documentations and the workflow for registration and scheduling was, was not uh, aligned. So we already had a Follow My Health, which was a patient portal tool from all scripts. We just expanded to incorporate our um, the video communication channel. So now uh, the entire workflow is through the Follow My Health uh, video channel where they can communicate and they can document in our uh, clinically, uh, clinically on the EMR, which is fully integrated um, into the uh, Sunrise uh, clinical manager. Um, but again, we still have uh, issues, uh, especially two. One is on the patients having to log on. Many, many of our patients do not have email addresses. So we are finding a way to overcoming those barriers. Um, number two is the language interpretation services. Um, majority of our patients, uh, they do speak Spanish. Um, but when we have a communication with their caregivers and all, we are still struggling with a tool, specifically for a video communication. But for audio communication, our Syriacom, which is our language interpretation services, that is working very well. But the struggle is only for the video chats. So, but there are, mm -hmm. uh, we are looking into other options, uh, in incorporating Microsoft Teams, uh, which have partnered with Saracom. So hopefully in coming weeks, that should get resolved. Yeah, if I could just add briefly, and I think everybody has some sort of a story around this. Um, the uh, end users, the patients, uh, trying to, to get access to a video visit, uh, a lot of times it requires them to download an app on their phone. And typically the biggest problem that we have is they forget their password and try and need to do a passwords reset or try and figure it out. Most of the technology seems to work pretty seamlessly. Uh, otherwise, if you could download the app, if it requires one, uh, the patient pops right up and, and the provider is able to get access pretty quickly. But uh, we've seen a lot of these uh, password issues to be a, a real problem and a little bit of a bottleneck uh, that we're looking to overcome. Yeah, 
I think other than that, I think um, again, if we can solve the language interpretations and just streamline some of our workflows uh, with uh, virtual waiting rooms and all, so I think um, uh, we will we'll succeed. Okay, and so just a reminder, um, attendees, if you do have a question, please place it in the um, Q&A uh, panel and we will get to it. Um, our next question is, how difficult was it to make the necessary changes to your system, creating order sets, templates, et cetera? Did these changes require vendor in intervention? You know, perhaps if I could start with that one. Uh, it's an easy question, an easy answer. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time, right from the beginning. We have a really great uh, group of analysts uh, that are well-versed in, in doing from documentation. Uh, we have informaticists from pharmacy uh, to build out orders and order sets. Uh, and so we've been doing this forever. Uh, Allscripts has always been there for us as we needed and we have resources, uh, but we were able to leverage uh, internal resources to get these builds done quickly. And our normal process is to build in a test system, uh, review it and move it into production. Uh, we escalated some of this to make sure we had the right people involved, even on the clinical side, to review quickly, make sure it's working as expected. And we were able to push these things out uh, off cycle. Typically we do a monthly uh, cycle. We were doing almost daily if needed uh, with the appropriate approvals. So Laurie, I just want to add one more thing that although we did develop uh, internally all the templates or order sets or documentation, um, we had several agency nurses who came to help us. We had uh, several volunteers who came to help us uh, during the surge. And we had um, our graduates who were in the different parts of the country who came in. So training was very important for us. and. Um, having virtual training was even more important. So we augmented our, um, all the training documents uh, virtually as well as uh, very limited in-person training. So not only building of these templates and uh, order sets, but uh, also training was equally important. But again, we managed somehow to do it internally um, with very minimal or little help from the uh, Allscripts uh, team. Right. So another question, um, how have you or how are you preparing uh, in anticipation for a future pandemic if one ever occurs again? So the near future, what we are calling it is the second surge, which is typically within uh, a year time frame. And as you all know, the previous pandemic, uh, the second surge was severe than the first one. But now that we know uh, pathophysiology of this virus, although there are several mutations of the virus, um, we are a bit, little bit more prepared in terms of understanding the triage process, uh, which can be um, uh, clinically cared at home or uh, in the emergency room setting or in the critical care setting. We have several treatment, we have several therapies now. Uh, we are much better prepared for our, with our PPEs, uh, which uh, I was uh, shocked actually during uh, in March and April that we ran out of PPEs uh, based on the changing guidelines of CDC. And we are very uh, hopeful that the uh, vaccine will somehow uh, sometime will come this uh, later this year or 
early next year. There are monoclonal antibodies in the pipeline. So I think we have better um, uh, warfare agents, I can call it, uh, for the second surge or the second pandemic. And just also to bring out, if I will, if I can, um, you know, the deployment of, of devices, uh, telemedicine, uh, just internally, cameras, microphones, uh, our staff are much better prepared uh, to work from home, to work collaboratively uh, than we were in the, even, you know, a month or two into it. It's been quite a, a transformation of our workforce. Okay. Uh, next question, um, do you still have the command center in play and do you see that continuing? Uh, no, we don't have a commands, virtual command center in place. Uh, we, uh, it was a early beginning of August. Uh, we don't have it right now. The volume uh, of COVID is, I would say on any given day, we have between three to five um, based on our census. And at some point um, in the, I think in the late July and August, our ED volume was dropped significantly mm -hmm. for non-COVID patients. But looking at our dashboard daily, it has come up to 80 or 90% pre-COVID uh, stages. So to answer that question, currently we don't have a virtual command center, but it will be a, a virtual one if we need to. Yeah, just to, to point out that we do have our daily uh, safety calls. Uh, yeah. We don't do them on the weekends at this time, but Monday through Friday, uh, every morning we get on and uh, if need be, we do report on uh, COVID status. Uh, and of course, we'd expand from there and into you know, some sort of more formal structure if needed. Okay. Um, with SBH being in an Un, uh, underserved area, how do you plan on keeping up with the virtual world to connect with your patients? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, um, again, virtually, as I said, we were mostly telephonic and then the video visit started. Um, our, it's all about educating the community members and the providers and the workflow re-engineering. Um, not every visit will be virtual. Um, there are certain visits which have to happen in person, uh, especially for the procedural areas. Um, yeah, it doesn't take too much cost. Uh, I think if we can do it uh, in our underserved population, I think anywhere in the country it can be implemented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to point out, if I can, uh, Dr. Barmetra brought out that uh, patients will have, uh, we're looking at patient uh, reported uh, parameters, uh, devices in their homes. And so we've looked at a couple of different uh, vendors for that. And, and there's a variety. Uh, some of them require patients to have Wi-Fi and to be able to be connected or a way to, to connect in. Others, uh, the device is completely uh, standalone, has its own chip. It communicates directly with either like Verizon or AT&T. And all the patient needs to do is either put a cuff on, stand on a scale or so forth. So we're looking at these options, uh, understanding how we can integrate those into our system and we're looking to see what we can do to get that in uh, before the next uh, time around. Yeah, it will be not a one size fits all. It will be for uh, chronic care. Uh, there will be a separate workflow for urgent care. There will be a separate workflow and those patients who need to come in, they will have to come in uh, for emergency care or procedural areas. 
So it looks like we've got one more question left. So if you guys have any questions, please um, put it in the Q&A box and we will get to it. So the last question that we have for now is, what was the biggest learning experience you dealt with during the crisis? I, I think communication and collaboration uh, was the biggest uh, learning. And I think, as I said, I've been here for over 25 years. This is the first time our clinical, non-clinical ESD workers and their leadership, they all came together and it was the effective communication and collaboration um, which sailed us through. Uh, I just hope to not to see the second surge. It was very bad for us uh, being the epicenter globally. Um, but again, the communication, not only amongst ourselves within the organization, but also the communication uh, with the uh, trade associations with the Department of Health and other uh, several hospitals in the area. And uh, New York was very fortunate to have some very good leadership, not only in the several health systems, but also in the Department of Health. Yeah, Laurie, I'd have to also agree the communication was key. Um, building out new order sets, new items, new labs, making sure that the different reporting streams uh, downstream uh, we're aware of that, making sure they understood what was needed, how to uh, put that into their systems and be able to report out correctly. Um, all of that was important. So the collaboration amongst, you know, internally in the IT department and externally with all the different uh, specialties and departments uh, really was very helpful in, in making sure that uh, we got everything out correctly and, and timely uh, to the people that needed the information. Okay, great. So looks like we have no further questions. So I just wanted to thank um, SBH, uh, Dr. Barmesha, and, and Zane, thank you again for participating today. Um, I think it was a great discussion. Um, so with that, um, I will turn it back to Erin. Great, thank, thank you, you so much, Lori. I'm just gonna take this opportunity to say thank you to you and your team for presenting today. And I also wanna thank those of you that attended uh, again, be sure to complete the survey that will pop up in your web browser once you're um, exiting the session. And I hope that everyone has a really great afternoon. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Laurie.